0: Because if I don't hit record before we actually start recording, what happens is you bust out with a word like, what did you just say? It, it, epistemological. You can't, that, you made that up. No, 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 no. Someone else made it up. Okay, that's fair. But I can't, you're, can you spell it?
1: Um. There's an E and there's a stuff <laughs> and you know. <laughs> you are a
0: content expert.
1: No, I'm only getting my side of it with my recording.
0: That's right. But then we have so we it's really backup for the Zoom. Okay.
1: Okay. I've been, I've done this dance as well.
0: Yes, that's right. And what a dance it is. One, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> content, content, something, content. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Hello, once again, friends and neighbors, it's Christina. And today I have with me a human being that every single time I have a conversation with him, I say, stop talking. We need to put this on the podcast because everyone should hear whatever it is that you're saying because it's very smart and important. Let me tell you a little bit about him. This is Jeff Eaton. Jeff is a partner at Autogram, a boutique strategy consultancy that helps organizations make their design and communication systems more effective and who doesn't want that whether he is fixing problems with cms architecture or editorial workflow his solutions sit in the overlap between design communications and technology jeff i'm telling you every single person listening to this this podcast right now is already on the edge of their seat like go on I- hello jeff that's the
1: wonderful thing about the, our community, the, the topics that would cause a crowd to disperse at a cocktail party, make everyone come together and go, oh, yeah, let's talk.
0: It's and so I, true. To- <laughs> it is so true. My people, the content nerds, I love you very exactly. much. Exactly. So, Jeff, you and I have known each other for a very, very long time. I oftentimes will start my podcast with that. We've known each other for a long time. And I will say I count myself among the very, very lucky content strategists who have kind of grown up in this industry with some of the smartest humans on the planet. And I tell you that all the time as well. Can you just let's kick off with you telling our listening audience a little bit about your journey through the ages to where you are now in content and content strategy.
1: I know we've joked before about how, you know, it's never a short story for for anybody in our industry. <laughs> like I actually started working, you know, at a design agency and doing a lot of freelance writing and journalism and increasingly getting involved in like producing the uh, marketing and support materials for organizations where they needed a lot of copywriting. They also needed design work and stuff like that. But we also then because at the time it was this new fancy stuff, we started building websites um, for for companies that we worked with, and through that I ended up getting a lot of very early experience in you know hey we're we I run the web server I write the copy oh we need a product catalog well I guess you know I'll learn how to set up the database a lot of that stuff was do it yourself or you know, at least very close to it in those days. So I sort of learned all the angles at the time in order to do stuff at that scale. This was like mid-90s. So the web wasn't totally new, but as a core part of everyone's, you know, communications and marketing efforts, that was kind of emergent at the time. Um, Over the years, you know, following that, I ended up getting deeper and deeper into the tech side of things, working on building out sort of proto little CMSs for clients so they could update things, or eventually working with companies that weren't even doing web publishing, but just needed the technical back end work. um, And I had, you know, started working on that. But I ended up coming like full circle and getting back to web content just because of a number of projects that I was working on that needed that, you know, CMS piece again, probably around like the, you know, 2004, 2005. And I ended up becoming really closely involved in the Drupal community and ended up being hired by a company called Lullabot, um, which I was with for many years after that. And you've probably... You've probably heard of them, you know, Christina. We you've spoken with them and everything there in the in the Drupal world, they work a lot on big content projects. And that was an amazing time because for me it felt like sort of coming back full circle, where I was deep into technical projects for clients that needed rich content that was really core to their business, you know, communicating either, you know, media companies or educational institutions or tech companies that needed to market their products or support their products. And it was a, a lot of great time there and ended up building out The content strategy practice at Lullabot because over time it became clear that, like, the problems we were encountering as Drupal matured and we added capabilities to it, and you know, the community worked on it. The problems that they encountered, the clients were encountering, were about their content and about their organization and about how they tackled that stuff and whether they really understood how their different types of content were working together and stuff like that. Those were reflected in the technical side of the project, but it wasn't just, oh, we need a new feature, we need better templates. It was really where the complexity came up. So that sort of brought me back to, you know, a greater focus on the content again, and it felt a little like coming home. And I spent years sort of building that practice out at Lullabot, and recently with, uh, you know, Karen McGrain and Ethan Marcotte, we ended up found you know, I ended up leaving Lullabot, and we ended up founding Autogram because, the three of us were finding certain kinds of emergent problems with all the clients that we were looking at, where different parts of their work—you know, the the design teams and the content teams and the IT teams—you know, individually were doing great work but, and, you know, following best practices and all that, but like things just weren't coming together for those organizations as well. And we started comparing notes and thinking about what's going on, what's this problem we keep seeing across all these companies and focusing on that like intersection in particular at Autogram. That's how we got together.
0: So where you landed, the kinds of problems and challenges and opportunities that you all are tackling. I mean, first of all, Let's just say the two folks that you work with are real luminaries in the web and UX industry. I mean, you hang out with a guy that invented responsive design. I mean, whatever. And then Karen McGrain, I learned a lot of what I know about content strategy from Karen a really long time ago. So you are working with two of the people I admire most in this field And the idea that that your clients get to sit down with you with these huge problems within an organization, like how do we connect design and content so that not only are things working technically and efficiently, but also we can consider things like, I don't know, meaning and (laughs) intent. I mean, that's really exciting. So I wonder in these levels of conversations, I wonder if you could just kind of share for a few minutes. What are you seeing these days? What are the primary questions that folks are asking? What are the challenges that they're facing? And where are the key opportunities that you're seeing? So if you can just talk for the rest of the (laughs) episode about those topics, that would be great. I'm going to go get some coffee. You go ahead.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So what are we seeing? I mean, so, you know, naturally, I don't want to make too sweeping of pronouncements about like, here's what's happening in the world. Because the kinds of problems we decided we wanted to tackle obviously shape the kinds of clients that we end up working with. So, you know, we spend most of our time chewing on this particular type of stuff. But even though we decided we wanted to focus on it, it has been startling how consistent some of the challenges that we're starting to see are I'll say first, like, what the themes are and then some of the specific areas that we see that popping up. Thematically, what we're seeing with clients is lots of pressure and, like, an accelerating pressure on content production and the ripple effects that always come from that in terms of management and effectively utilizing the stuff that's been produced. There's so much... Competition for attention at this point, and the natural response to that is almost always to try to produce more, and just you know turn the dial so that you stay visible in this world where everyone from influencer who's trying to get a footprint on TikTok to your direct competitors in your industry to you know spam farms that who are you know using AI to automate stuff and just try to hoover up clicks. Everyone is trying to get out there in front of people and content and communication and messaging is so critical to make a connection. It's really hard to not feel like you're sinking beneath the waves. And like that pressure is a big part of, you know, what most of the organizations and teams we're talking to face. Some of them feel like they're, you know, sort of, up to their eyeballs in the water and trying to, you know, trying to get above it. Others feel like, okay, we're doing all right, but this pressure is always there. Figuring out ways to make that easier and to mitigate that, either by strategically narrowing down what they're trying to produce and to more intelligently target what they're making and how they're getting it to people. Like that's one way. Another way is to build systems that are actually more effective at Leveraging what they have produced and what they do produce, so that the content they make is working harder for the time and the money that they invest in producing it. So, like that pressure is one of the things that we see. The other is, I guess, I'd call it like a crisis of observability. That scale problem of how much more is being made and you know how many places it's going is one part of it, but so many organizations have no ability to actually examine what they have and what they have created and know whether it's working or not. They have like, you know, you've got, you know, screaming frog and you can check if the SEO is going okay. And you've got grammar tools and, you know, site accessibility checkers you can run and you've got your analytics team if you're lucky or just, you know, like a copy of, you know, Google analytics that you've got running or whatever, if you want to try to look at the numbers. But, this holistic, or, or and then even like wh- what do we have inside the content that we've created? How's it shaped? What assets are we using? Are there, you know, video clips or pull quotes that we've got that we ought to be repurposing in other ways? Like that, sometimes you've got a CMS that's capable of pulling those things out and helping you with them, but oftentimes that stuff is just, you know, locked in interviews or articles or case studies that just aren't built to make that stuff surfaceable in a way that allows you to reuse it or even find it quickly when you need to go back and figure out, hey, can we use what we've got or do we need to hire a writer and get permission from an, you know, a client again or something like that. There's all those individual tools to do that stuff, but there are really good ways that most organizations have to look at the big picture and to say like, okay, our content, is it healthy? You know, is it, you know, is it, um, what's the quality of it? Are there places where it's just not up to the standards that we want? Um, and then effectiveness, like, is it doing what we expect it to do out in the world? You know, we have traffic numbers and maybe if you're a, you know, a, you know, commerce company or like a SaaS company that has a very well-engineered like conversion pipeline and you can tie things to that, you can say, well is our content directly contributing to the you know new user sign-up or the conversion that we want? But bringing that full picture together and being able to assess it as like, what have we got? How is it doing? Where are the problems? And where are those problems maybe connected to each other? Or what's doing really well in ways that we didn't expect? That just doesn't exist at so many organizations because some of it's a tools problem some of it's a strategic problem with knowing what it is would need to be measured to answer those questions but yeah sorting those questions out and helping organizations move the needle with that kind of stuff that's that's a lot of what we do <laughs> well and and that's where we see the problems that's those are some significant pain points at like a at a thematic level I'd say
0: so These are huge challenges. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm losing my voice because I'm crying. No, that's not true. These are huge challenges that anyone at... I mean, I was going to say an enterprise organization, but let's face it, just just about any organization that has what I'll call like big content, a lot of content faces. And what I have seen with our clients is that oftentimes it's very, very difficult to know where to begin. Because to your point, there's information over here about content performance and analytics, even though they don't understand what the content is trying to actually do or serve in the first place. There's information over here about inconsistent messaging and how that needs to, you know, get fixed. There's information over here about four different kinds of user personas that have been created throughout the organization. I mean, there are so many moving pieces. So I I have two questions related to that. The first is, where does a company start? And the second is, What are the roles that you would recommend? I mean, let's say that there's like a core team or a steering committee or whatever you want to call it. What are the key roles that need to exist once things have sort of been identified and kicked off?
1: How do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. But which bite is first? That's the big question. You know, increasingly, we've started to talk about that idea of like observability for the content as the real key. Because no matter what systems issues you start to you start to solve, if you don't know what it is that you have and where the problems are, what you're going to focus on in terms of the problem solving is always going to be a matter of luck. Are you fortunate enough to have noticed a problem or felt the pain from a problem that happens to be widespread, or is this just like what you happened to bump into today? Without that sort of observability question at least being addressed, you have no way of knowing whether it's widespread or isolated to a particular team or whatever. And, you know, if you're working inside of the context of one particular team, sometimes those things can be useful to tackle. But, like, at the organizational level, if you're saying, hey, we want to move the needle at a large scale, you're not going to solve the problems in one fell swoop. You're going to have to figure out how to prioritize and tackle them one by one. But the observability piece and figuring out how you can measure what, like, we we tend to break it down into quality, health, and effectiveness of what you're creating – Measuring those three things effectively—that's what you use to make a decision about what to focus on first. Otherwise, you're you're flying blind, and like that's the biggest challenge that we've found. Where organizations have gotten programs started and they're you know focusing on fixing the CMS or replatforming, or we're going to be doing thought leadership, or we're not going to be doing thought leadership because we did that last year and it turns out it didn't help at all, or whatever. Those kinds of things. Can produce results, but again, it's you're flying blind if you don't have the bigger picture of how these different pieces are working together and how successful things are in different areas.
0: And so that rolls me into the next question, which is you just used the words decide and discover <laughs> and prioritize. And th- those are, that's mm. people and that's empowerment. So yeah. talk to me about the different roles that are required there. And typically what you see is the required level of sponsorship for a project like that. Um, well, you know, or a, I, not just a project, but like a movement, or I, I do a longer term initiative. I do want to call out, by the way,
1: Fabrizio uh, Benedetti, the one of uh, an amazing technical writer and UX writer um, from Spain, who works for Splunk, I think, um, is one of their leads with technical documentation. I, I can't remember what his exact role is, but he actually wrote um, an amazing like blog post on docs observability, like measuring documentation effectiveness. I think earlier this month, and he's actually the one who put the word observability. Um, in my ear with that post because that's something that for like literally two years at Autogram we've been you know writing and talking about it but having this open conversation about what's the right word for this thing you know it's not analytics it's not this and we've really sort of clicked with the word observability to describe that because it captures a lot and it, it helps take that question out of we need to do an audit or we need to improve the analytics or we need to get but you know it it it's the big picture and huge hat tip to him for his writing and thinking on on that question of like how we frame what we need to be doing.
0: We will be sure to include a link to that post in show notes on contentstrategy.com because it is that post blew my mind and I got back to Jeff and said, I just don't know why tech writers and web content strategists and content marketers and content designers aren't like, we talk about the big tent, but like, why are we all not reading what he is writing (laughs) thinking? (laughs) Oh, tech docs don't apply to me because they do. Oh, they do. Oh boy.
1: Um, So anyway, sorry. What what you were saying is like, I think what you asked was who, who needs to be in the room? Who needs to have the authority and ability to, to drive those things? Obviously, it depends on the organization, the size of the organization. If you're in a small team that, you know, some people are going to be wearing multiple hats. And at a large team, it's sometimes going to be spread over multiple roles. I would probably say that some of the most critical roles that we have found are obviously someone who actually owns like the messaging and communication strategy for the organization, and this this may be getting a little fussy you know i i i don't I don't like coining new terms for things because that feels very precious, <laughs> but I say that rather than saying content strategy because content strategy has become such a big tent that can include like An engineer who really cares about content, who's primarily concerned about like CMS architecture, or it could include someone from the content marketing team who's, you know, focusing on the big picture of like how they organize like the cycles of their comms and stuff like that and managing the editorial calendar. There's such a huge spread in what could be someone's focus if you say, hey, we need somebody to handle the content strategy. And that is something that we often see in organizations where there will be someone who may have the title of, you know, like lead for content strategy or something like that. But there's a really strong emphasis on one particular aspect of that. And other ones may not be getting as much focus. So that, it's understandable, but that can sometimes be a factor. What I would probably say is that there needs to be somebody who's clearly and like unambiguously able to make calls and answer questions about the messaging and communications priorities. Like, you know, what perspective are we speaking from? Are we a trusted leader in our industry? Are we, uh, a fresh upstart with a new perspective? Are we, you know, so it's it's that brand and voice kind of stuff. Another one is like, what are the core messages we're communicating? Who's our key audience? And in the short term, like what kinds of things do we need to emphasize? What kinds of ideas do we need to get across effectively? And how do we need to, you know, how do we need to do that? Like that kind of strategic stuff. Somebody needs to be able to answer those questions and they need to either have an interest in or an ability to dialogue with the the rest of the team about some of the nitty-gritty questions about how that gets realized like oh we're going to be doing that by rolling out targeted microsites that work like x and y and z or we're going to you know in order to accomplish that we're going to be investing time in reworking our past 2 years of case studies that we produced and modularizing them so that we can construct really compelling audience targeted landing pages that feel conversational and have quotes and have here's ROI impacts and let's talk about how we can help you. And, you know, what's your problem? We can speak to it, but that's pulled from our past case studies, you know, where the work of making structured content isn't just a philosophical issue that, you know, we want to do content better, but it directly serves this messaging need that we've got. We're doing this to accomplish something. There has to be somebody at that, you know, strategic message purpose level who can answer those questions and is able to dive down and like get into the weeds, at least to some level with the team who's making the how we're going to accomplish that decisions just to make sure that everyone is on the same page and on the same table. On the flip side, there has to be someone at that nitty-gritty level, whether it's working with the CMS or coordinating the individual, you know, campaigns that are going on, that is able to think about that from an asset perspective. Like, we're making assets for the organization. This content that we're putting out there isn't just an artifact of a campaign that we're hurling out into the world it's an asset we've invested time and resources in creating and we want to be able to figure out how to make it work effectively for us in the future that stuff somebody who's thinking about like the the structural asset management stuff somebody who's thinking about that messaging you know the messaging priorities and what purpose this serves for us why are we doing it when this goes out into the world, what do we think is going to change? What do we think the impact is? What's its intention? And then the third like I would probably say is if you're in an organization where there's any kind of like design system work or there's a strong emphasis on starting to build out that kind of consistency in visual design and presentation, making sure that they're part of that circle And that their work isn't treated as sort of this thing that we draw on once we need to click stuff together, we'll use their modules or we'll use their components. Like making sure that they are aware of these kinds of purpose messaging, asset reuse, um, you know, broader intention questions because they're going through the same conversations on the design side. They're asking those same questions about design components and how things are assembled together and on the visual side, how they work together and what's the intention, what is this visual presentation tool we've created, what is it good for and what are the right times to use it. They're asking a lot of those questions, answering them with the systems they create. But one of the things that we so often find is that if those sort of three legs of the table are there but not working together effectively and not on the same page or don't at least have some way to coordinate with each other, things fall apart because the design systems team is answering those questions, but in a different way, from a different angle. And that the and then when, the content team that may be coming up with great tooling to support all that production and publishing work, the lines don't match up. It's like, you know, when, when they try to put them together and there's awkward fits, things aren't as flexible or useful or easy to roll out quickly as everyone thought they would be. And if it isn't being managed from a perspective of that like strategic outcomes, you know, messaging and outcomes level. If there's not somebody there who's keeping that together, even if, you know, the the technical content and the design systems teams are able to come to a point of understanding, there isn't necessarily a good way to look at whether it's working long-term and, how you know, how those pieces can be improved. Getting them on the same page and making sure that there's that, like, common set of underlying beliefs about how we tackle this stuff and how we make decisions when we're together and then when we're off with our respective sub-teams, it, it really falls apart. So I'd probably say like someone who's responsible for and can own the design system, someone can who can own the, you know, the content production and the technical tooling that supports that work. And then someone who owns the messaging and the ways of determining whether it's actually effective once it goes out into the world. Those three roles, they don't necessarily correspond to any useful titles that I can call out, but like those really feel like three key pillars.
0: So... The first thing I wanted to say is you made the very good point, and this comes up on the podcast a lot, about like content strategists can mean 80,000 things within an organization. And a lot of the roles that you've described, marketing, content in design, content engineering, uh, content on website. I mean, there's you know a million different things. Mm-hmm. And some, one of the things that we really talk to organizations about at our consultancy, Brain Traffic is getting on the same page about what kind of content strategy we're talking about in each of those different areas of the business and then naming it and calling it the yeah. thing, calling it a content marketing strategist, calling it a website content strategist. Content engineer is one of my favorite things to intro- and one of my favorite terms to introduce into clients. The best that we have been able to do to date, to describe the thing that ties it all together, whether we're talking about editorial workflows or the same principles, all the things that you are that you're describing in terms of how are we sure that everybody is kind of singing from the same songbook is enterprise content strategy. Which that phrase carries a lot of weight when we talk about the CMS or content engineering. Yeah. It's the best that we've been able to come up with. Content ops is not quite it, but that's that's what yeah. we roll with. Anyway, my question is, what we see happen a lot is that we... Do this very long-term situation analysis because there's so many people to talk to, so many conversations to have and to facilitate and, you know, deliverables and initiatives keep getting unearthed and we can go on and on. And then finally, at some point, we're like, okay, here's what we see. Here's the synthesis of that information. Here's our analysis. And then we move on to strategic recommendations. Mm-hmm. In terms of moving from strategy towards implementation, nine times out of 10, the best that organizations can do because of leadership hesitation or money or timing with other initiatives is a pilot project. Yeah. How do you see organizations begin to take those steps towards change?
1: I mean, in terms of like where, where they first focus with those like early pilot projects. Is that, or,
0: I, I guess what I'm asking is is it a pilot project?
1: Is yeah. I mean, it, it, it has to be. Even, I mean, like, you know, my background, you know, but even back when I was at Lullabot and we were doing like, you know, enormous content migrations to, you know, actually do a replatforming where you have to, you can say, well, The job's not done until all the content is on the new platform. So it's, you know, it's just a job that is X big. You still have to start with small pieces of it because that lets you figure out, is what we're doing working? Is, you know, is the approach we're taking, is the angle we're you know looking at this from, is it accurate? When we try to do it with this one campaign or this one particular type of content that we have that we feel is underperforming and we wanna move the needle on it, is what we're doing playing out the way we believe it will, or is you know, our is it working? That has to happen at a smaller scale. And you can build on that and gain the confidence to start applying it to at at a broader scale. It also allows you to get numbered. You're actually looking carefully at what happens when you do one of those pilot projects. It can give you actual results with measurable outcomes that you can use to build institutional support and justify like, well, here's what we believe the ROI is going to be as we start rolling this out at a larger scale, because that's what we saw happen with this pilot program. I think the hardest part, you know, those of us who spend a lot of time thinking real hard about this stuff and trying to figure out what's a better way, how could we do this better? the initial impulse, I think, is to sell the betterness of it, to convince leadership that this better way of approaching a particular problem that we've got is what we ought to do because we've like demonstrated from first principles that it's better. And that can be convincing when it's us in a room, talking shop about how we do stuff. But from an institution that needs to figure out where it's going to invest resources and actually carrying this stuff through, starting small, measuring outcomes, using that opportunity to course correct when there's aspects of it that don't play out the way that we think it's going to or whatever. Like, that's the process by which Things actually happen at scale. And there's a there's a client we just worked with just a little bit earlier, you know, end of last year, beginning of this year is when we wrapped up, where they were, you know, they're consolidating platforms. They're going to be moving and shifting some content that had been managed in a fairly chaotic way, you know, over the years. And they wanted to, they want they like their theory was that the performance of this content was going to improve dramatically if they reorganized it, called some of it, moved it to a new platform that's where a lot more of the work has been going on to improve things. But there's an investment in doing all of that work. And, you know, it's every organization has to make judgment calls about, you know, whether or not it's worth it or not. So one of the things that we worked with them on, as we planned out how this would play out, was like, what's the first ten pieces? What's the first... 100 pieces of this content that we know we can do with a very low impact we can do on a you know tight budget right away get that out there and start gathering information on whether this tiny slice of what we're looking at performs in the way that we're predicting it will and as that information accumulates you can roll that back in and say okay or you know we dipped a toe in the water and The water seemed nice and we're going to, you know, we're going to go further and further with this and we've got a phased plan. But we've got a story about not just why we think this works philosophically, but we've got the early data that matches with what we predicted. And that makes a huge difference inside of the organizations that like are large enough that doing the big shift is a significant institutional commitment and resources and people's time.
0: Does that help? In fact, if I just cut the rest of the episode and just had those last like five minutes, I think that we'd be good. I think that a word that you used in there that is so important is story. As well, is how you are telling the story as you go throughout the process, the story of what's happening now, the story of what could be not just from a this is better, but here are predictions and here's the here are the outcomes that we think would be beneficial beyond just this is a better way to do it. And so having that ability to be able to identify what is the meaningful data going to be? How does it map back to our business objectives or, you know, pain points that, that leadership's been struggling with? And then how are we going to tell that story of either our success or we add halfway there, here's what we'd like to do next, because I think that we can take it all the way. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is, that's so important and that's so powerful. And I'm glad that you mentioned that
1: you know c- coming back to like just the you know where does content strategy fit into this i think wh- i i need to track it down again who who wrote about this first but i think one of the one of the most interesting descriptions of strategy that I've read in a long time is that it's a it's a theory of change. It's not just, you know, the here's what we're gonna do, here's you know, here's our goals, and you know, here's the goals and metrics we're shooting for, you know, stuff like that. It's not just that, it's like at its heart, a strategy is a theory about what's going to be different if we do x and why do we think that's going to be different like what do we what's our theory about how doing a will lead to b and that's helped me when those like fuzzy boundaries between, well, is this the strategy or is this the execution plan or is this like, you know, higher level institutional decisions that are outside of our domain or whatever. And I think, like, what you described is like, you know, being able to tell that story about what we're going to be doing and why a lot of it boils down to that and the the observability the measurement the performance that we we look to 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 prove it out is basically did did that story did it play out the way we expected is is that a a true story
0: i love that very much i think that a lot of times when i talk about strategy it's we're at point a we've identified what the situation is we've identified where it is that we want to go at least the next milestone on our longer journey what is the path that we're going to take to get there? And I think that adding that dimension of and what do we strateg- what do we believe will be different after we reach point B is really, really wise. And I've always loved talking to you about strategy. So maybe that'll be our next conversation the next time <laughs> I have you on the podcast because I'm positive it will happen at some point.
1: Well, I'm Ter- looking forward to
0: it. Terrific. Well, today we are out of time, but I wonder if you could share with folks where they can find you online.
1: Well, the stuff that we do at uh, Autogram, you can go to autogram.is. That's where, you know, Karen and Ethan and I uh, sporadically post things. But uh, we we also, we're all over the internet as well on you know, places like Mastodon and increasingly LinkedIn, the new Twitter. And then personally, um, I have a website at uh, eton.fyi um, that I'm in the process of as always, uh, you know, re- rebuilding it to include like uh, a past archive of uh, a lot of talks and writing I've done over the past probably 15 years or so on some of these topics because it's been trouble. Like the the loss of Twitter, right? I realized there's so many like threads and comments and then, you know, presentations that I only really linked or talked about there that uh, with it sort of weirding out, um, I want to sort of pull that stuff together so that it's a more useful archive. So that's ultimately what that's going to be.
0: That's really exciting. Uh, Thank you for salvaging your wisdom from (laughs) Twitter. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. I appreciate you and I will see you around the interwebs. Yeah. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you by Brain Traffic, a content strategy services and events company. It's produced by Robert Mills with editing from Bear Value. Our transcripts are from Rev.com. You can find all kinds of episodes at contentstrategy.com. And you can learn more about brain traffic at braintraffic.com. See you soon.